No. If you have your Bibles, please join me. Go there in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. I'm going to start a series of messages. They're uh, going to be in various sections at various times. Kind of give you an overview of Hebrews briefly. First of all, the theme is Christ is our high priest. And the writer of Hebrews goes into great detail uh, several times in several places talking about Christ being the high priest. Sometime in 95 AD, we do know from Bishop Clement, one of the early church fathers uh, who died in 99 AD, he was familiar with this, so, and he also wrote uh, First Clement. Uh, it's not biblical, it's just uh, he's writing to a church in Corinth. So it would have had to have been at least before 99 AD. And there's been a lot of uh, thoughts about who the author is. Some say Paul, some say Barnabas, because Barnabas had a Levitical background. Some say Luke. The great Martin Luther, the Reformed theologian, thought it was Apollos who was really refined in Hebrew language. But here's the deal. We basically don't know who wrote it. There's not really, you look at Paul's writings, and for example, in Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, none of that language seems to be what we would call Pauline language. So it did make it into the canon but we're not really sure. We do know a lot more about the book, though. The destination was to Jewish Christians living in Palestine, and seems to be that these Christians, particularly if you go look at uh, chapter 2, verse 3, they seem to have not seen Jesus during his earthly ministry, and so forth. So clearly this is written to a Hebrew audience. And one of the main purposes of this letter was to show them that Christ is better than the angels, Christ is better than Moses, Christ is better than the law, he is above all those, and therefore you need to submit to Christ. So with that as a background, today I want to talk about ABC Christians, Christians who just know the basics who have never really gone beyond the basics. Well, that would be this group here. So first of all, let's look. We go beyond the basics. He mentions elementary here. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ. That word, therefore, obviously points to something that went before. And what went before was this in, verse, in chapter 5. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. This is the audience. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of the oracles of God all over again. <laughs> you need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. Now we know that when we come to saving faith in Christ, we become babies newborn babies in Christ. These people are still children. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice 
purpose to distinguish good from evil. So the writer here is making a point in our text. He says, look, you got to go beyond the basics. And it gets even more astonishing as we go along. But he says, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ. Leave is the word aphiomi. It has 14 different meanings in the Greek language. Uh, here, I think it means to leave behind. Years ago, I'm probably dating myself here, but years ago when I was in Bible college, we had to take, uh, I wrote down these classes, Preaching 101, or I'm sorry, Preaching 100, Preaching 101, Preaching 102, and Preaching 201, and then of course I added to that. But one of the things that we learned very early on was how to structure a sermon. That was basic. Then we had to do what was called an exegesis. I, this week I looked back at some of the, the ones I did in Bible college, and, and I kind of chuckle because they were so A, B, C to what I am doing now. Now, what this means is you never leave the basic. The basic goes with you. It becomes the, 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 the foundation, if you will, of future preaching and adding to the sermon. When the writer writes, therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ, he's not saying that we leave it behind or get rid of it. He's saying that we build our future lives in Christ upon that foundation. But you don't keep just say, staying on the foundation using John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son to whosoever believeth in him should not perish. We, we know that. We know that. Too many Christians stay there. They never want to move on. And these Christian Jews were still at the starting gates, if you will. They were still uh, focused on that foundation. In fact, in chapter 5, what I just read, he said, you guys are still on milk. You need to go beyond milk and get solid food. Can you imagine a 12-year-old still using a, a baby bottle to be fed? No, just like the physical bodies grow, we begin adding food. The believers are supposed to go beyond the basics. The elementary doctrine, doctrine of Christ, which is arche locos, arche logos, the doctrine probably refers to the central message of Christ. His life, his ministry, his mission, the cross, salvation, that is the basic doctrine. And you know what? I wondered if you ask some of these people here, we can't go back in time, but if you ask them, I wonder if they had the basic foundation down. Because in verses following the verses we're in, and I'll get into that in a minute, it seemed to me, at least as I read this again for the second time, uh, more, actually more than that, I've read it, but... Uh, to go back and look at this, it's clear that there was a problem. They didn't realize how saved they were. They seemed to be wanting to add stuff to it. So this is, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ. And a, a very, very important picture here. You don't get rid of the foundation. 
And then he says in verse 1b, we'll talk about maturity. And go on to maturity. Pharaoh, and it sounds like the pharaohs of Egypt, but the word is pharaoh, which means to progress. Let's see. There it is. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Here the issue is to go beyond just the basics. You're supposed to go to maturity. And this word, telelotes. Well, I've actually got a video. I, I hope it plays good. Uh, this happened June 28th, 2023, and it really does capture the essence of this word maturity. And again, I, I played it earlier today, and I hope it, hope it plays well. So. Wow. I don't like the Yankees, by the way. Um, but 24 times since the 1880s, there's only been 24 perfect games. Do you know what the Greek word here is for maturity? It's perfection. So if we read this now like this, let us go on to perfection. That means that we set the bar extremely high. Extremely high. He's not just saying, go on and, and grow up in your faith and become an uh, elderly statesman. No, he's saying, go on to perfection. That means to set the bar really high so that you can aim for Christ and that you work towards perfection as believers. That's what that word telelotes means. It means perfection. And too often times we decide, well, you know, I'm going to shoot to grow up in Christ, but uh, the issue is that we're to reach a state of sinless perfection. Now, let me say this. You cannot do that. You will never reach a state of sinless perfection. But the writer here is telling them, I want you to move on, and I want you to, in your Christian walk with Christ, I want you to seek perfection. Now, if we have that perspective, how does that change our life tomorrow morning? As we begin to move forward in our Christian walk with Christ. If we're aiming for perfection 
then we have a different focus than just, okay, well, today I'm going to live my Christian faith, and this afternoon, this, this morning I'm going to live it, and this afternoon, well, I'll kind of do what I want to do. The writer of Hebrews is telling them, look, it's not, it's not the elementary teachings. You have to base and build upon the foundation of Christ. I think all of us would agree with that. David Allen, in his commentary, he wrote this, the meaning here is not of that abandoning the basic teachings of Christianity, but rather the necessity of recognizing the foundational character of these teachings and thus the impropriety of going over the same ground. The readers are exhorted to move on to another level. So we should never be satisfied in our Christian life with just knowing John 3.16 or just knowing that God loves me. And by the way, uh, if those of you that missed Wednesday night's uh, service, that was excellent. Uh, we're going through D.A. Carson's study on prayer. Uh, it, it was excellent. We have to understand that Christ loves us and that love will then transform our hearts. Here, the issue is he wants them to move towards perfection. But the issue is they were not. In, in, in fact, they were going back time and time again to the basic teaching of the gospel. I, I just think that in, if, if we were to take some time this week and contemplate our own Christian walk. And we all have issues. And we all sin. But if we were to just get that different perspective, starting even this afternoon, we were to get that, that, that perspective that, that I'm going to aim for perfection. Of course, you can take that to an extreme and where the perfection becomes you're a police for everybody else and you, you don't do this, but that person does that. And then you start questioning them. No, the issue here is for you and for me that we look at our own lives and we go, you know what? We're going to aim for perfection. We're, we're going to seek to live this life exactly as Christ lived. And now that's a far cry from, okay, well, I'll go to church. I'll go to Sunday school. I'll go to Wednesday study. I won't really talk about God or the gospel any other time during the week. The perspective would be then, I can't wait to go to church. I can't wait to go to Sunday school. I can't wait to go to Wednesday service. I, I can't wait to share the gospel. I can't wait to do this, that, or the other. It, it really does transform the way that we view things. And, and knowing that that word means uh, perfection kind of changes the overview of Hebrews because they did believe in the Mosaic system but they could never quite get there and don't start over again which was I think one of the big issues uh, notice he says here the writer, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. Calabado, Calabado means knocking down, uh, 
and the, the foundation thumelios, thumelios, which means that on which the structure was built. Now, if you think of it this way, here you have a foundation to a house. What the writer is saying here is that you don't want to lay the foundation of repentance from dead works again. But when you look at not laying again, the word literally means to knock this down and to start over again. Don't do that. You can't do that. And you don't need to do that. You shouldn't do that. If we go to this next section... In verse 4, and I'm just, I'm just going to read it. So we're talking about this foundation. What they were doing was they kept going back to the foundation again and again and again. And he says you can't lay that foundation, which means to break down or to collapse the foundation. Listen to what he says. And, and this is in chapter 6, verse 4. For it is impossible. Listen. For it is impossible in case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. In other words, the writer is saying, when you go back to the foundation and you could possibly lose your salvation, having once tasted the Holy Spirit, having once received the gift of God, having once been born again, if you should fall away, if you should fall away, you cannot be saved again because you have to put Christ back up on the cross and crucify him all over again. And when Christ was on the cross, he said it is finished, it is done, and therefore, from that point, you do not need to keep going back to the foundation. It is impossible, the writer says. If you destroy that foundation, it is impossible to be saved again because Christ already laid the foundation. You can't possibly renew them again because you'd have to put Christ back up on the cross. So this is the, this is the two possible options. And I'll share them with you. They're pretty easy. It irritates me when people think you can lose your salvation. One option is this. Once saved, once lost, always lost. Never to be saved again. If you go back and you destroy the foundation, which is what he's not laying again, the foundation, which means to collapse that whole foundation and restart, you cannot be saved again. So if you lose your salvation, legalist, you're cooked. Because if you could lose your salvation, you can never be saved again. But you can't lose your salvation. And you know what? If I were Satan, I would keep people at the starting line to where they're always worried about their salvation and, 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 and there's fear and trembling and I think her name was Esther or Estelle in my first little church. She would walk the aisle every Sunday and want to receive Christ again.
You can only be saved as many times as Christ died. He died once. You can only be saved once. If at some point it was possible for you to lose your salvation, guess what? You're done. Because then you have to say, okay, Jesus, could you please get back up on the cross and pay for my sin again? And guess what? That's not happening. Some of these legalists, look, none of us are perfect. I'm right there with you. None of us are perfect. And all of us sin. And yes, we should repent of that sin before God. That fact aside, why would we worship a God who can't keep us saved? Do you ever think about that? That's why the, that's why the cross is such good news. <laughs> he did it all. I have to trust in it. And then part of trusting in it is giving him control of my life. And that's what the author is saying here. Look, you can't lay that foundation again. That foundation on which the structure is built, if you collapse it, you're cooked. You, you can't be saved again. Let me say this again. If you don't hear anything else in this sermon, I know many of you are tired. You've already stated that. <laughs> but if you leave here today, I want you to remember this. Once you're in Christ, you're always in Christ. And then at that point, you seek for perfection. You seek to aim for perfection. Not always reaching it. I get that. Two items are mentioned here. Repentance from dead works and faith in God. Repentance from dead works is negative. Faith in God is positive. The dead works, um, well, I'll give you one here. This is from Ray Stedman. An abandonment, listen, an abandonment of attempt to obtain righteousness by seeking to obey the precepts of a lifeless moral code. And in their case, talking about the Jewish law. Why would you go back and repent of stuff that's already been crucified by Christ? Why would you go back and do that? And repentance. This is another one. Uh, repentance from dead works. This is the literal uh, Greek lexicon definition to change one's way of life as a result of a complete change of thought and attitude regarding sin and righteousness. So not laying again the foundation, and he's already said go on to perfection. So he says here, you've got to have a different perspective about your Christian walk. Repentance in its simplest form means this. It means to go in the opposite direction. But ultimately, it needs a change of understanding of sin and the world around us. I, I honestly think that we could, we could seriously improve our Christian walk if we just understood that we're to reach a state of perfection. Just tweaking that would really radically change 
how we live Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It would. It would change the way that we live. Oh, I have seen this so many times, so many times. People say to me, well, God can never forgive my past. And I ask them what they did in private. And they would tell me what they did. And I asked them, did you repent of that? Yes, we did. Or yes, I did. Then I would say, you know what? As far as the East is from the West, that sin's forgiven, if you've asked for forgiveness. Sometimes we, we think that God keeps a record even after we've repented of something. He doesn't. And he says, <laughs> you know, you can't keep repenting of dead works. Uh, that's Aragon, uh, which is a task that is performed. And secondly is the word faith towards God, which is positive, pistis, a belief in the proof of God. And of course, when we talk about this, obviously because Christ is better than the angels, better than Moses, we are talking ultimately here about Jesus Christ. Toward is upon. So, We've got to have a different perspective. So these are in forms of three couplets. We just looked at the first couplet. Now we go to the second couplet, which is baptism and symbolism. And of instruction, this is in verse 2, 2a, of instruction about washings and laying on of hands. Uh, uh, in Jewish settings, uh, they had two forms of rituals. Tivola, Tivola was the immersion of the body in water for purification purposes. And then there's my favorite one, Netailat Yadim. Netailat Yadim, which means the washing of hands in a, in a bowl. The issue here, when he mentions about washings, He's talking about, you guys got to let go of the rituals. Now, there are good rituals and there are bad rituals. When I was at Lincoln in the, uh, in the, uh, in the doctorate program over there, uh, one of the young men, of course, in the Christian church, you take the Lord's Supper every Sunday. Without exception, you take the Lord's Supper. And he said in class, he said, there was a... Uh, a big preacher in our, in our denomination that wrote an article that said, come let us drink poison together. And he said what the article was about was that people came to church participating in the Lord's Supper and had never really examined their own faith. And of course, Corinthians warns that if you take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, bad things can happen. And that's what this young man said. He said, we do it because it's ritual. It has lost the significance of its meaning. And so these readers here were simply going through rituals. 
And I think the baptism, this is, this is probably the most important. I, uh, we all know that baptism is symbolic. For them, it was part of the, the rites, the purification rites. So when Jesus comes along, when Jesus comes along and is baptized by John, uh, the issue, is, I've heard people say, well, I don't need to be baptized. Well, Jesus said, let it be done to fulfill all righteousness. And the question is, why was Jesus mentioning this? Why would Jesus need to be baptized? Well, actually, uh, my understanding is that the covenant process that was in the Old Testament is the covenant process that's in the New Covenant. It's the same process. Over 714 laws from everything that Moses wrote in the Torah, you got to do those. And then you figure out, I can't. In fact, I don't even base some of them from my heart. But when you go back and you look at Moses... Listen to Exodus 19, 19. I think this is why John the Baptist got in so much trouble. So they see these Pharisees and leaders see John the Baptist baptizing Jesus. And by the way, you should be baptized. It's not for your salvation, but because Jesus did it and you want to follow him in baptism. That's why we immerse. Last Sunday, it was a you know, immerse, die to self, raise to newness of life. Nothing to do with your salvation, but Jesus was baptized. So, listen to this. Exodus 19, 19 and 20. When Moses told the word of the people to the Lord, the Lord said this, said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments. That was part of the covenant process. So when Jesus comes along, of course, it has to be part of that covenant process. In the Old Testament, part of the covenant process was sharing a meal with God. When you come to the, and I don't have a lot of time for this, but in the Old Testament, it was a covenant meal with God where God came down, took half some of the food. In the New Testament, Jesus had the Lord's Supper with his disciples. The Old Testament covenant process is in place in the New Testament. Even from the shedding of blood on the people in the Old Testament to the shedding of blood on our hearts. Same process. So he says here, you already know this. You don't have to keep doing this. Then there was the laying on of hands. Now this garners a lot of, I'm not going to, go into detail. Laying off hands in the New Testament often related to conferring special gifts. The writer may have called his readers away from uh, being absorbed in ritual matters with the, with the spiritual impact, little spiritual impact in their lives. I think what happened is it was symbolic after you were immersed. It was symbolic to lay hands on the person that was immersed in form of saying, yeah, the Holy Spirit lives here. But the interpretation is wide open. And the last one that we're going to get into is eschatology. Notice, and of instructions of washing and laying on of hands and the resurrection from the dead and eternal 
judgment. How many of you in here know that you're going to be raised the moment you die? Cling to it. That's going to happen. We know that. And of course, of eternal judgment. Let me give you, uh, I think it's Romans 8, 11, yes. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and he does, right? The moment you trust in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into your heart, takes up residency in you, and you're saved, and the Holy Spirit never goes, okay, I don't like this, I'm jumping out. Right? Because if you could lose your salvation, that means you have to pull the Holy Spirit out of you. And I can personally tell you, how many of you have ever seen the Holy Spirit? You can't do it. You can't do it. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. When, when you die, your spirit leaves and your body is left. That spirit is ushered in. Can you imagine? That spirit is ushered into the presence of God. He says, you don't need to focus on this. You already know this. Come on, man. Get on with your life. Grow. Go to maturity. Go to perfection. Aim for that. Let's leave these basic things behind. But somebody was teaching them, somebody was teaching them, you have to do them all over again. And they tried to do that at the church at Galatia, trying to get the Gentiles all worked up. If you go back and read Acts, the council said, we're not going to put the law on these Gentiles. And yet, somebody was teaching these guys that, hey, 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 you can't leave Moses. And the writer's saying, yeah, you got to. By the way, God gave a holy law, by the, by the way. Not just the Ten Commandments, but all those laws that are in the Torah. Holy, given by a holy God. And therefore, <laughs> therefore, we can't get there. And so we need Jesus. And that's why Jesus came, to die on a cross to pay for our sins. And then of eternal judgment. Every one of us in this room knows I'm, I'm 100% sure that everybody in this church right now that's here and those that uh, are not here for various reasons, everybody knows that we will stand before Christ when we die. 2 Corinthians 5.10, Therefore, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, believers, so that each one may receive what is due, what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Interesting, good or evil. That means that we're capable of evil, even as believers. We're, we're capable of sin. And the writer here is saying, look, look, put this down, leave it as the foundation, and move on. And I'll tell you, if you're worried about your salvation, maybe God's speaking to you that you aren't saved. That, that's between you and him. You have to work that out. But never leave the basics of Christ. Build upon the basics of Christ. Aim for perfection this afternoon. Aim for perfection. And that means a lot of changes. And the Holy Spirit will have to help you change. I mean, you don't, you don't do this on your own. But aim for perfection. Perfection. 
And then know, know this, please. If you've trusted in Christ, you're saved. Rest in that finished work. Stop trying to earn your salvation, which you can't. And trust him. And then say, Lord, this is me. Please take my life and use it to glorify.